Thanks for joining us today. Our church exists to give everyone, everywhere, every reason to know Jesus. You can learn more by connecting with us on Facebook at Journey Fellowship Denton. Thanks again for joining us and enjoy today's message. I want you to take your Bibles. I want you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 11. And then as you're heading there, I want you to say, Lord, open my heart to receive your word today. Would you just pray that prayer? Lord, would you open our hearts to receive your word? Let, Lord, everything that is spoken, Lord, not be my opinion, Lord, or my thoughts, but lay they be the thoughts, Lord, of heaven, Lord, transferred through the voice of the Holy Spirit into our hearts. I pray especially, Lord, for these young people, these young adults, Lord God, going into life. I praise you and I thank you, Lord, for them. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. There is nothing more exciting than to see young people on fire for Jesus. I'm serious. There's nothing more exciting than to see a teenager or a 20-something burning up the world with Jesus because they are passionate beyond passion. They are exciting to watch. They're active. They've got more moves and, and, and energy than, you know, what was it that was said? You know, uh, it's too bad that, uh, that uh, youth is wasted on the young. You know what I mean? Because they've got the energy, they've got the power, they've got the want to, they've got the desire, they've got the boldness, and you got, they've got the hunger. And man, when they're just exploding into, into worship, I just love to see it. It's a wonderful, wonderful thing. And I'm so proud of you guys. I want you to know, Sawyer and Sarah and Jocelyn, I'm so proud of you being here today. You are an exception. Your parents tell you you're an exception. Everybody in the room, your parents have always, oh, you're an exception to the rule. But I'm just going to tell you for sure, you three are an exception. And here's the reason why they're an exception this morning, because I want to bring you this actual truth. Here's the current reality. The current reality is that they are a minority. Generation Z, these guys, our youth. Generation Z is the least religiously affiliated generation in the history of the United States. Only 34% of Gen Zers have any type of church affiliation or have a relationship with God. 34%. Now that's down from the, from the boomers and the builders back in the 60% category. We've lost over half in this generation. What's more concerning is this. From Lifeway Research, they did this study in 2019. They redid it again in 2022. 60%, I want you three to listen to me, 60% of all kids who leave the church when they graduate high school also stop going to church. 66 Now, that's the current reality. Here's what I want it to look like. You guys stand, you three stand up again. 66%. We've got three kids. Girls, sit down. This would be the only one that would attend church if we stayed with this current trend. Thanks, Sawyer. 66% of our kids leave the church as soon as they get out from underneath mom or dad or or the youth group or whatever, where they go off to college. They leave the church. They leave behind their relationship with God. The ones who stay behind, this is what they say, the reason why they stay behind. They say, well, church has a vital part of my relationship with God. They say that church helped teach me to make decisions that were right in everyday life. They say, I wanted to be in church because I wanted to follow a parent or a mentor of someone that I saw in the church. They want to be in church because it was a big part of their life. Church made them feel like they were a better person. Church helped them to feel like they were committed to a purpose that was bigger than them. Church helped them to, be, uh, to get through a difficult time in their life, in their relationship with God. Church helped them because they had good friends and good relationships while they were in church. Those are the reasons why the one stayed. But the question is, is why did the other two-thirds not stay? 
What's causing this generational trend? And can I say this? It's not just Gen Z. The millennials, Gen X, the busters, the boomers. There has been an incredible pullback, especially since COVID, of people who have gotten lax upon their relationship with God, church attendance, Uh, what used to be if you attended every Sunday as regular attending. Now, if you only attend twice a month, you're considered a regular attendee. It's like the bar has been lowered. So yeah, yeah, we're a regular attendee. That's my church. Well, how long, when did you go? Well, the last time I went was Easter, but that's my church. What's causing this trend? What's causing people to... To, to, to pull back? What's causing people to, to isolate themselves? I think there's three factors, and I'm going to bring that to your attention this morning. Just stay with me in Matthew chapter 11, but we're going to go to some other scriptures first. I think there's three factors, and I've listed them in your notes because I want you to see this. One factor that I think is very important, and you young people listen to me, one factor is that Our fears keep us from continuing to pursue God. You say, what does that mean, Pastor? Well, First Timothy, or 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7 says, For God did not give us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and of sound mind. Now, the Bible is filled with all types of fear knots. Do not be afraid. The Bible's filled with all those types of things. And what Paul is writing in Timothy, he's saying, look, young Timothy, this this young man who is about to venture off and to be this pastor at the church that he is leaving him to, Paul is encouraging him because he can tell Timothy is a little bit intimidated. Life has a way of intimidating us, doesn't it? It can intimidate you. I don't care if you're 18 years old or if you're 80 years old. Life can intimidate you. And if you allow fear to begin to enter into your life, it will shut you down and paralyze you. And many times that paralyzing uh, effect occurs not just physically in your actions, but it can occur spiritually in your actions. You become spiritually paralyzed. And, and Paul, sensing the, the reservations that Timothy has, he recognized that maybe it was a fear of, of, of intimidation. Maybe it was a fear of, of a lack of self-confidence. Maybe it was a fear that he didn't measure up or just a fear of uncertainty. I mean, you guys, you know what you want to do, but you're not sure if that's exactly how it's all going to play out. The fear of uncertainty. We all live in that fear of uncertainty. We don't know what's going to happen next week or tomorrow. And our fears can cause our relationship with God to change and it can absolutely cause you to fall away from church. Because when you come to Christ, here's what you need to understand. The Holy Spirit takes up residence in your life. The Holy Spirit comes in and He doesn't just come in as the comforter. He comes in as your strength. He comes in as your support as the strong person that that he is. He stands up on the inside of you. He gives you the ability to deal with the demands of life when others fold under the pressure. The Holy Spirit gives you the ability to love when other people will hate. The Holy Spirit will give you the ability to be in control when other people's lives run out of control. The Holy Spirit will give you the ability to stay calm when other people will become distressed and anxious. Fear, though, fights against God's will for your life. And your fears will keep you from your dreams. Your fears will keep you from your dreams. Your fears will keep you from the perfect place that God has called you to be. You'll be afraid. And the enemy knows that if he can keep you afraid, he can keep you from achieving God's goals for your life. Max Lucado says this. He says, fear doesn't want you to make the journey to the mountain. If he can rattle you enough, fear will persuade you to take your eyes off the peaks and settle for the dull existence of the flatlands. Can I just encourage you three? Don't live in the flatlands. Conquer some peaks in your life. Don't be afraid to try. Don't be afraid to fail. Don't be afraid to to worry about what somebody else is going to think. Fear will keep you from achieving what God has for your life. Moms and dads, grandmas, grandpas, aunts, uncles, brothers, sisters, don't allow fear to keep you from being all that God has called you to be. Don't let fear stop you 
This is more than just a motivational speech. This is the Word of God. He has not given us a spirit of fear, but of love and power and a sound mind. You guys are going to have some times. You're going to move away from home. It's kind of a special for me because this is my last one getting out of the house. You're going to move away from home. There may be a little fear there. You're going to have some job interviews, maybe a little fear. You're going to be starting over in a new place and making new friends, maybe a little fear. And to everyone else, maybe a little fear when you're trying to raise your kids. Come on. There may be a little fear when you're trying to provide for your family. There may be a little bit of fear that will come up to you even as you get older. You know, I'm going to tell you something. Getting older is no joke. There may be a little bit of fear of what might lie in front of you next week or what might, what might come upon your life in the next year. But let me tell you something, friends. Whatever season you are in your life, don't let the spirit of fear settle over, over you because the Scripture says that does not come from the Lord. Fear is not of God. Fearful living is not faithful living. Psalm 27 verse 1 says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? And he says it again. He says, The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? There should be no fear in the child of God because God has called you to live courageously and fear has turned people because of their fears of other people. You see, here's what happens in this generation why we've got so many people who who graduate high school, young people, why we've got so many people who have slipped out of church and, and, and allowed their relationship with God to become cold and dry or even washed away is because of fear. Because God wants your life to, to be able to stand willingly and face fear courageously. Here's what it looks like. When you say yes to following Jesus as a young person, you will have to face the fear of being a minority. If you say, I'm going to follow Jesus, you will be in the minority. The other 70% will not be following When you say yes to living a godly lifestyle, you will face the fear of rejection and being tagged as an outsider. When you say, I'm going to live the godly life, I'm going to make decisions based upon the Word of God, you may not have the same, be invited to the same friend group as others that you know. You see, when you say no to the party invitation or to a boy or to a girlfriend, courageously, you face the fear of losing some friends. When you say no to a sexual relationship before you're married, you may face the fear of feeling like, well, you're always just going to be alone. But God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. You don't have to be afraid to be alone or to lose friends because God will replace every one of those things by His power and by His love and by the courageous thoughts that you will have. God will give you the strength to keep on pushing through it. The inability to overcome our fears of life is directly related, I believe, to the trend of generations walking away from God because they're afraid to say no to the world and to say yes to God. The second thing that I think that is so important is our values. Not only will our fears cause people to to move away from God, but our value system is really what keeps us tethered to our relationship with God. Paul says in Philippians 3.10, he says, I know, I want to know Christ. Can everybody in the room just say that? I want to know Christ. Say it again. I want to know Christ. Are you quoting that scripture or is that truly your mission in life? I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering, of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. 
I want to know Christ. What, what's Paul doing? He's laying out his value system. What did Paul value the most in life? Was it popularity? No. Was it having lots of friends, you know, ooh and ah at him? Was it to be an influencer? No. Was his, was his value system about making money? No. Was his value system about living a comfortable life? No. His value system was stated right here in verse 10. I want to know Christ. I want to know him in the good times when the blessings are coming and the power of God. And I want to know him in the bad times when suffering comes and nothing is going my way. I want to know Jesus. What happens when people walk away from God and when, when this generation pulls away? They have allowed the world to deliver the value system that they think is important in life. Rather than accepting the value system of Scripture, they take the value system of the world. And what they do is they take this system on and they feel like they're achieving something in life and they're climbing the ladder only to get to the top of the ladder and realize they've leaned their ladder against the wrong wall. You see, we choose our problems according to the goals and the values that we set in our life. If you were to walk from Denton, Texas to California... If you were to say, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make that journey or ride your bike or something, anything, travel to California. In order to get from Denton, Texas to California, you've got to go through the Rocky Mountains. You've got to go through there. You can't bypass them because they're a long ways around. And it's your option. When you get to those Rocky Mountains, you can say, you know what? I don't think I'm going to cross those mountains. I think I'm just going to stay right here. Remember, you choose your problems according to the values and the goals that you set in your life. If you say, you know what, this is as far as I'm going to go. It may be safe. I mean, you may not have to walk uphill so much, but you will never feel the breeze of the ocean on your face and you will never smell the salt of the waves as they crash upon the ocean's shore because you will have made your decision not to go. But if your value is that I want to see that, I want to experience that in my life, I've got to go over some mountains to get to that experience. You choose your problems according to the values that you set. Serving God in my life and in your life, there are things that I would not have to deal with were it not for the value system of I want to know Christ. I wouldn't even have to be here today. I would just be doing my own thing. But my value system says, no, this is the most important thing in my life. Let me tell you, when you lose your value system, you lose your direction. You lose your compass. When you're lost and you don't know where to go, the first thing that people will tell you, well, you've got to find true north. You look for the north star. Or if you've got a compass, it will point to magnetic north. You, you can determine. Once you determine a fixed point, then you can go from there. Back in the 60s, Apollo 13, I think they made a movie about it in the 90s, and Apollo 13 was up in the orbit, and there were three astronauts on that little capsule, and there was a a computer glitch, and this was before, I mean, your phone held more computer power than what happened in the astronaut's capsule back in the 60s. It's amazing. But what happened was that whole system, they were, were going to die, and they were going to be lost in space unless they made a 31-second burn. They had, to, they had to adjust the capsule in order to get into the correct orbit so that they could go down and land. They had no computer navigation. There was nothing on board that could direct them at all. They had no compass, no heading. They had nothing. And so Jim Lavelle, the captain of the ship, he said, look, Houston, he said, here's what I'm going to do. I have to have a fixed point. And what he did was he put, he got the mirror. There was a window of that capsule, and he affixed the earth inside that window. 
He said, that's my destination. He said, as long as I can keep that in the window, I will have a fixed point that I will know as I'm turning, I will know how many degrees that I can go. So as long as I keep that vector fixed. He kept his destination. He knew exactly what he was looking at. He kept his eye upon his destination. Young people, listen to me. Keep your eye on where you're going, where God wants to take you. And as long as you can do that, as long as you keep that value system up here, as long as you say, I want to know Christ, I want to know him. I don't care what happens in my life besides knowing Jesus. As you can do that, you will find success all the days of your life. Your values will tether you to the truth. And going along with the next part is that your determination, our determination really helps that. Paul says in Corinthians, he says in 1 Corinthians 15, he says, brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved. If you had hold If you hold firmly to the word I preached, otherwise you have believed in vain. I have been preaching to this young man since he was before he was born. I've been preaching to Sarah before she could talk. She was little bitty. And Jocelyn, for the last five years, they've heard the truth. They've heard the gospel preached right here. They've heard it in youth group. They've heard it in small groups and Bible studies. They've heard the truth. And so the charge that is before you today is do you have the determination to hold to that truth? This generation needs a little bit more grit. Can I get an amen? I'm not just talking about Gen Z. I'm talking about the millennials and the busters and the Gen Xers and the whoever else is out there. You and I, friend, we need a little bit more grit, a little more determination about us. To say, you know what, bless God, I don't care what comes my direction. I'm going to stand firm. Whether the storm blows or whether it's a calm, peaceful, pleasant day, I'm going to stand firm. Nothing is going to move me from the rock that is beneath my feet. I will not be moved. We need some determination like that in our generation. In this generation, we need godly men and women who will stand up and show this young people how to stand firm in the trials and tests of life. When you get the bad report from the doctor, you stand firm in your faith. When you lose the loved one, you stand firm in your faith. When you don't get the job, you stand firm in your faith. When you don't get the promotion, you stand firm in your faith. We need that determination, God, no matter what. I'm on you like a bulldog. I'm not going anywhere. It's that determination. Can you trust it? Paul encourages this stubborn faith, this stubborn attitude. God wants us to have this stubborn attitude about serving Him. Now, some of you have the attitude of being stubborn, but you don't have the stubborn attitude of following Jesus. You're going to be asked questions. Jocelyn and Sarah and Sawyer, and those of you in college, and those of you who are facing today's corporate world, you will be asked questions like, can you really trust the Bible? Is it really God's Word? Aren't there many different ways to get to heaven? Aren't all religions just the same? What makes Christianity any different? Is gay okay? Can you be a homosexual and still go to heaven? Is sex okay? Even if you really, if you really love the person, is it okay? You're going to be asked those questions and you need to know how to answer those questions. And you need to be not only know how to answer them questions, you need to be firm in your conviction about those answers. No matter what the argument is, you stand firm. No matter what evidence they try to present to you that always has a backside with no meaning to it, you have to stand firm. Because the gospel, this message right here that you can find in the Bible that we gave you, it is the only answer to all of these questions and it will not fail ever. It won't fail. So when you find yourself spinning out of control, you feel lost in the cultural morass that we see in our culture today. Hold on to God's word. Hold on to God's word. 
I don't want you guys to become a statistic. Nobody in this room wants you to become a statistic. I don't want anybody in this room becoming a statistic of, well, yeah, they were in church at some point, but they're gone now. I never see them again. Not sure what where their relationship with God is. God does not want you to be a statistic. What we have to do is we have to re-educate ourselves. That's a pretty pretty busy buzzword nowadays. We need to be re-educated. We need to, to reinvent. It's not the reinvention. It's just a re-education. And what I want to do in just a few minutes, and I'm just going to do this quickly, I want to give you a red-letter education. A red-letter education. An education from the red letters that you can find in your Bible. They're really easy to come by. The principles are there. I'm going to cover them real quick. But in Matthew chapter 11, the, the scripture that I told you to, to, to look at it first, Jesus says these words, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Man, I'm so thankful that that verse is in the Bible. Is there anybody in this room who has felt a little bit tired and fatigued this week? Life has just run you down or run over you one. You showed up with tire marks over your face this morning in church. Life has just hit you hard this week, and you're tired. You're weary physically, mentally, spiritually. You're tired. And Jesus just spread it out, and he said, come to me. <laughs> come to me. I invite all of you, come to Jesus today. I don't know what you're dealing with today. Come to him. Come to him. Bring your issues to him. Bring your problems. He's not afraid. He's not afraid of what you're going through. He will walk you, walk with you. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy burdened. Heavy. And I will give you rest. And in the next verse, I want you to notice, this is where I want you to see. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. I want to show you something here. When we say yoke, what most of the time what you think of is a yoke like ox, an oxen. You know, there is a yoke that's placed upon an ox, and he that yoke has him has him uh, stuck to a plow, or that yoke has him stuck to somebody to another ox, and you're tied to that you're tied to that oxen. So wherever they go, you got to go. Whatever they do, you got to do. But you're pulling this plow. Anybody ever tried to drive your car with the park, with the parking brake on? Some of you guys looking at your wife saying, every time, honey, take the brake off. You can't go very fast. Matter of fact, it starts smelling because you're just like, man, something's on fire. Oh, yeah, it's the car. It's the brake. Take the brake off. It's like, I can't get the speed. I can't go where I need to go. I can't get on the interstate, man. Something's wrong. What is it? It's dragging. It's heavy. It's, a, it's the yoke on the car. An anchor is dragging behind you. Here's what I want you to see. Jesus says, take my yoke upon you. Now, was Jesus saying, hey, I've got this ox yoke that I'd love to set on your head? No, he's not talking about that. He's, he's using a figure of speech. Because what you need to understand is that in those days, when a rabbi would talk about a yoke, they weren't talking about the yoke that you would have an ox or a horse or whatever, a donkey wear. A yoke was a specific teaching from a rabbi. Every rabbi had a specific way of teaching, a specific thought process, a specific theology. The Jewish rabbis up until Jesus, they all had this very religious, duty-driven thing. This is what you do. This is how you do it. And Jesus said in one other occasion, he says, man, you Pharisees are hypocrites because you lay these burdens upon people, yet you don't even live up to them yourself. So don't ever use the excuse, well, there's too many hypocrites in the church. You know what? It's not going to hurt to just be another one. Come on. Nobody's perfect in this room. 
thank God, or I couldn't be the pastor here. Nobody's perfect. And this yoke that these rabbis would lay upon, they'd say, these are the things that you've got to do, and you've got to do this. And their relationship with God became nothing more than a a to-do list, a do's and don'ts. This is what you do, this is what you don't do. If you don't do this, you are rebuked soundly, and you're just a loser, and you're never going to make it, and you're a failure. I can't believe that you would do this. And people would walk around with this heavy yoke, and they'd say, I can never live up. I can never measure up to what God wants of me. And Jesus steps in, and he says, take my yoke. Take my teaching, take my learning, take my, take my understanding. And because I want you to see my yoke is easy. My burden is light. It's comfortable. My yoke is about grace. My yoke is about mercy. My yoke is about forgiveness. My yoke is about living to the full because I am the one who can give you life to the full. That's my yoke. Take my yoke. And so all through the New Testament in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all through the Gospels, Jesus presents his yoke to us. He begins in Matthew chapter 5 when the Beatitudes are spoken and he's standing on the sermon. He gives the Sermon on the Mount, the greatest sermon ever preached. And he begins to teach about this yoke. Blessed are the poor. Blessed are the the merciful. Blessed are are the peacemakers. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those. And God is, he, he just, he just begins to pour out all of this teaching upon the people. And they are amazed. They're like, I didn't know it could be this way. Jesus re-educated people to understand a new way to look at life. And here's my challenge to you guys this morning and to everybody here. There's a new way to look at life. If you want to stay close to the Lord, not let your fears run over you, not let your your value system get all messed up, not to just kind of to get discouraged and lose out and lose your determination to God, you've got to get into the Word so that you can see what Jesus says. This morning, what I want to do is I want to just give you a few principles from this yoke. Life hacks is kind of what I call them. Life hacks from a red letter education. First of all, let me just tell you this. Here's one of them. Luke 12, 15, Jesus says this. Watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. You know, the world would tell you that, the, that however much you have is how valuable you are. That it's all about money. The better house, the better car, the better neighborhood, that defines who you are. But let me tell you something. That's not the way Jesus taught. That's not his yoke. That's not a red-letter education. You see, Jesus taught that money will never fully satisfy. It will never fully satisfy. You can look in Hollywood. You can look at professional uh, sports players, and they have all the money that they could ever spend, and yet so many of them live lives that are just so up and down. They're emotionally unstable. Their marriages fall and crumble. They're, they're, they're continually looking for just the next fix to try to repair their heart because they thought money would satisfy it. The millions will never satisfy Can I just encourage you, young people, listen to me. Never make a decision based on money alone. Let me give you an example. If your boss says, you know what, you got to work on every Sunday. I'm fixing to preach to you now. Your boss says, you know what, you got this little part-time job, but you got to work on Sundays. Can I just ask the question, is that job worth it? Is that worth it? Now, some of you, you're working on Sundays. just like, man, pastor's getting serious. Oh, yeah, I'm serious. Can you take what God has given you and give it to somebody else? Never make your decisions in your life based on money alone because you will regret those decisions. Because a year from now, as you have missed A Sunday morning service, you've missed the fellowship of believers, you've missed the encouragement of the Word of God, you've missed times of prayer and times of worship, and now you find yourself, you're not going to church at all. And you say, man, how did I get here? Well, it started way back when the boss said, hey, 
you've got to work on Sundays, and you did not say, mm, can't do that. That's the kind of tough people we need in Gen Z. And I think you're capable of doing it. Why has the world and our culture gone so far where we've got activities going on on Sunday mornings and things going on on Wednesday nights and, and, and the world? Because we have allowed it, Christian friends. We wouldn't stand up and say, you know what? It's not going to happen. I'm not going to do it. Look, our family's been through that. Our kids played sports and they'd say, hey, we've got a tournament coming up, you know. Because all these little seventh graders, you know, they're probably going to be in the major league draft next year. So we've got a tournament coming up. We're going to travel, you know. We've got to go to somewhere on Saturday, you know. We'd be gone Sunday morning. And I said, sorry, we don't play on Sundays. What? And we need him. I said, I don't care if you need him or not. There's going to be a lot of scouts there. I don't care. People are going to be looking at him. So I know who's really looking at him. And that's really all that matters to me. You've got to make those decisions. Red letter education, it goes against the flow. Money will not satisfy. The second thing is that always, you have to always monitor the temperature of your heart. Luke 12, 35 says, Be dressed and ready for service and keep your lamps burning. The spiritual life is really something special. But you have to constantly monitor it. And here's why. Because if you've been a seasoned Christian, if you're a veteran in the room tonight or this morning, you know this fact. There are times when you are spiritually, you feel like you're standing, you're like the fourth person of the Trinity. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and Scott right there. Yeah! And then there are times you feel like you're not even inside the building. And a mature believer would say, you know what? I understand that. And if you're honest, you know, I mean, if you're the super spiritual person, say, no, not me. I'm always close to Jesus. Yeah, you're always close positionally, but there's times when I know you feel like, God, where are you? Can I just tell you, everybody in the room, that's normal. Don't feel like you've lost your salvation if you just wake up, don't wake up in the morning and you're just like, man, I'm tired. I don't feel like praying. You have to continually check the temperature of your heart and you need to know where the flame is. If you don't know where the flame is today in your own heart, you're in trouble. Trim your wicks. Get your candles and make sure that they're burning. Number three, here's another little education moment. Live to make his name great instead of your own. Luke 14, 11 says, For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. You want to be an influencer? Influence for Jesus. You want people to listen to what you have to say on Twitter or TikTok, TikTok, Instagram? You want people to listen to what you have to say? Do it so that Jesus gets the glory for what you have to say. So that when they look at your life, they're seeing Jesus. They're seeing something different about you besides somebody that's out there just trying to make a dime. Number four, seek Him first. Matthew 6.33, a live verse for me. Seek Jesus first, and then all these things will be added. Put Him number one in your life. That's your value system. Number five, be faithful in the small things. Luke 16.10 says, Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. Verse 18, or chapter 18, verse 14, For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Let me tell you something. The best way for you guys to do well in life is to deal with what God presents to you every day. You want to be financially secure in your life? Give God His portion now. And don't start when you say, well, when I get that job at corporate, then I'm going to really start giving to the church. Giving to, you know, I'm not begging for your money. It's not about you. It's not about the dollars. It's about your heart. If you can't give the small, what makes you think when you're going to have to write that check with five digits? But you won't write that check with five digits if you can't write the check that's got a few cents in it. You with me? 
listen. Be faithful in the small. In this generation, a lot of kids, they come out of college and they immediately think they should be the general manager of these companies. For real. Yeah, I'm smart. I got a degree. Let me tell you, I've learned more just in the lessons of life than all the degrees that are on my wall. It's important. Those things are important. But you, do, you deal with what God puts in front of you right now. You, do, you deal with that appropriately, and God will give you more. He'll move your life from just a half-inch pipe to a two-foot pipe if you will allow Him to flow through you at every stage. Number six, you'll never be too far to come home. And Daniel, when I hit number eight, you come on up here. You'll never be too far to come home. In Luke chapter 15, there's a story about a prodigal son and a father. If you guys ever get to a place in life where you say, man, I've failed, I've messed up. I heard that message pastor preached and look at what I've done. You'll never be too far away to not come home. I don't care what you do. Now, you do your best to stay faithful. Church, listen to me. I don't care what you've done. You may be sitting here today and saying, man, I've really messed up. I don't care. And neither does he. You're never too far for him to say, oh, son, daughter, I've been looking for you. I've been waiting for you. His grace is great. His mercy is great. And He loves you more than you can ever know. That father, he said this. He said, my son, the father said, you are always with me. And everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate and be glad because his brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. You find that place where your poor decisions have brought you to a place of brokenness. Never forget that he will never forget. Number seven, this is important. You are the average of your five closest friends. I'm going to let that sink in for just a second. You are the average of your five closest friends. Jesus said in Matthew 18, 20, for where two or three come together in my name, there I am with them. What are you saying? Is he saying, look, when you gather together in a consensus of relationship, he will be present in your life. But I want everybody in this room just to stop, and I want you to think of the five closest people in your life, five friends that you have. And then I want you to measure them. Where are they spiritually? Well, three of them, they ain't stepped foot in a church ever. And the fourth one I know, he's a CEO Christian, Christmas and Easter only. And the fifth one, he loves God. You do the math. The people that you hang around with, are going to produce fruit in your life because they're going to sow seeds in you. And you will become the five, the average of the five closest friends you're around. What you need to do is you need to have in your life a group, a core group of people who are going to encourage you spiritually, to encourage you professionally, to encourage you, in, in, to encourage you physically and emotionally. You want to become the average of those great people in your life. Spend time with them. Do things with them. Get around them. Talk to them. Have conversation. Go to breakfast with them. You want to be the average of those people. Choose your friends carefully because you will become the average of your friends. Number eight, remember that eternity is a long time. Can I be very blunt? There's only two destinations. There's heaven and hell. There is no purgatory there is no hung in limbo there is heaven and there is hell and you have your choice while you are on this earth 
Live your life so that you're ready when he comes. Because he's going to go, when the, when the trumpet sounds, as my grandma used to say, he ain't going to go looking for you. You're either going to be ready or you're not. And then finally, number nine, enjoy the ride. Life, what you're going to realize is life is like a roller coaster. Man, there's going to be some anxious, you know, it's like when you're on the roller coaster, and some of you, I haven't ridden roller coaster in quite some time because if I did now, it would not be healthy for me. <laughs> but the last one I rode, I think it was the shockwave, actually. And so I'm on the shockwave, and you know when you're, they buckle you in, and they click that thing down on you, and you're sitting there, you know, and then all of a sudden, and you start, the first thing you do on a roller coaster, you start going up the hill. And what does it do? And man, at every click, you're just like, oh God, this is so, uh, I don't know what to do. You're just, you're, you're just so anxious and you're nervous. And you get to the top. You're at the top and you're looking around and you're like, ah. And then about that time, and I love the cameras that they show people's faces. I mean, that is the most hilarious. You know, just some crazy, just faces. Oh, God. And you go down, and you make the loop, and you make another one. Oh, and you're saying at this point, God, is it over yet? You know? And then it slows down and you kind of come to a crawl again. Yeah, that was great. Yeah, let's do it again. No, I don't want to do it. There will be exhilarating moments. There will be nauseating moments. There will be moments where you're just like, man, I don't ever want to do that again. That's life, though. That's life. Life will have you some high highs and life will put you in some low lows. But what you have to do is you have to enjoy every season. Listen to me. Senior adults, moms and dads, listen. In every season of your life, you have to learn to live that season abundantly. John 10, 10 says, Jesus, Jesus says these words. He says, the thief comes to steal, kill, and to destroy. And man, he can really do a good job at that. But I, my yoke, is that I've come that you might have life. That you might have life and have it more abundantly. Not just average like this. Abundant life in the highs, abundant life in the lows. I've come that you might have life. Enjoy the ride. God's got great things for you guys. I've just touched the iceberg of a red-letter education. My encouragement to use that Bible that you've got placed in your hands today, let that be your tutor and mentor for the rest of your life. Stay faithful. Don't let fear run you away. Keep your value system that has been poured into you. Be determined and say, you know what, bless God, I'm staying. I'm going to beat the stats. I'm going to beat the stats. Moms and dads, grandmas, grandpas, brothers, sisters, cousins, friends. It's time for us to turn this thing around in our culture, in our generation. We need to get that red letter education in our own lives and allow Jesus to speak to us. Would you bow your heads this morning? The most important task in anyone's life is to graduate life. Graduating high school is great. Graduating college. Graduating in a job and being promoted, that's a wonderful thing. But graduating life is when you say what Paul says, I have fought the good fight. I have kept the faith. I have finished the race. That's the truly great graduation day. Before I dismiss this morning, I would be amiss if I did not ask the question. If you are here today and you're not prepared to graduate life, if you're not here, you're not ready to graduate life. You're, there are things that 
would fail you, disqualify you from receiving that diploma in heaven. And you know it. Don't leave this place this morning without making that, presenting that to God. With everybody's head bowed and everybody's eyes closed, give me just a minute. Nobody move around because this is the very most important part of the whole day. If you're here today and you say, Pastor, I don't know if I'm ready to graduate life. I'm not sure. There's some things going on in my life. I've done some things and I'm living in a way right now. I just, you know, I came here and the Lord's been convicting me of some things and I I want to for prayer today. If that's you, would you just lift your hand and look at me? I just want to pray for you today. I don't embarrass you, but I'm going to pray for you. Yes, sir. Yes. Yes. Anybody else? Anybody else? So I'm looking all over the room. Anybody else? Yes. Yes. Anybody else? Just not ready, but you want to be ready today. Yes, sir. Let me pray for you today. And those of you that raised your hands, I want you to just turn it over to the Lord and say, Lord, you see my heart. You see my life. You see what I've done. You see who I am. I'm not, my direction's not toward you. It's toward me, and I, I, I want to fix that today. I want to get my life right. You pray that prayer as I pray for you today. Father, I thank you, Lord, today for your goodness to us. I thank you for your mercy, for the education that you have given us through your word, the principles that are true every season of life. I pray for those gentlemen who raise their hands today. Lord, I pray that God, that the enemy, Lord, that seeks to steal, kill, and to destroy everything in their heart and in their life, what all of you started, I pray that he would be completely run out of their lives, run out of their homes, run out of their jobs and family. Everything that he has tried to do to to make a headway, I pray that he would be run off. And Lord, I pray that the, the, the failed decisions and Lord, the wrong words and the sinful thoughts, the things that Lord God have separated them, Lord God, that you would come in today, right now, that they would just say, Lord, forgive me. Get me back on the right track. Help me to help me to know where I'm going when I graduate this life. Lord, I pray that you would bless us all. Lord, bless these three. Lord God, as they graduate high school, I pray that you'd send them on to do great things, Lord, to keep them close to you, keep them from this world. And everyone who is here today, Lord, send us forth into this world, Lord God, Lord, with a red-letter education, holding to the words and the teachings of Jesus. I praise you and I thank you for everyone here. Bless us as we go, Lord. Watch over us. Give us health in our minds, health in our bodies, strength, Lord God, to continue to serve you, Lord God, and to finish this race that you've called us to finish. We praise you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you today. May the Lord bless you and keep you and cause his face to shine upon you. And may he give you peace in all things. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message. If you were blessed by this ministry, we want to encourage you to share it. And if you don't have a church home, come join us any Sunday at 1030.